eyes and look at uh, some of uh, what is coming up in 14 to 19 and explain why we're not going to do it like we usually do. Uh, so last week we were uh, we we did we looked at chapter 13 and uh, the land has been essentially conquered, but there. In chapter in verse one of chapter thirteen, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, "You're old and advanced in years, and there remains very much land to possess." So they haven't possessed all the land, but at this point, they're no longer uh, the uh, conquest has stopped, and there's still more land to uh, uh, to be acquired, but it's not. Uh, they've not done it yet, and so there's a uh, a stop in the war. And what's happening now is the na- the tribes are getting their their portion of land given to them. There's uh, Joshua is going to sort out the land, and we looked last week at the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River. Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh uh, tribes. And uh, so it introduces the first seven verses. We saw it introduced the land in Canaan. They're going to divide up for the nine and a half, but then he explains from eight to the end of the chapter the land on the east side. So two and a half tribes have their land allotted to them or marked out. We looked at that last week. I didn't uh, hook my computer up, but you you may have you probably have that in the back of your Bible. Then in fourteen, he's going to show the nine and a half tribes that are left. The second half of Manasseh will get a portion, and then the other nine. Uh, beginning in fourteen, he says the inheritance west of the Jordan. So that's all the land in Canaan that God has given to them as the promised land is going to be apportioned to these nine and uh, half of tribes. Uh, and that's what goes all the way to chapter 19. Uh, 14 is actually more about Caleb than it is about anything. It's, again, 14 has the few verses, five verses of introduction about the west of the Jordan. And then... The rest of the chapter 14 is Caleb's request for his portion of the inheritance. That's what we'll look at. But then notice chapter 15, the allotment for Judah. And this is just a whole section that lays out the boundaries, the cities, uh, and the areas of the tribe of Judah. And then you see at the end, uh, toward the end of chapter 15, just a whole bunch of names. I'll let you read those names at home. Uh, and some of these things. Then 16, the allotment to Ephraim and Manasseh. What's what's different about Ephraim and Manasseh? Who are the 12 tribes, the original 12 tribes? Who are the people that they're named after? Okay, the sons of Jacob. Ephraim and Manasseh are not the sons of Jacob. Okay, the sons of Joseph. So Joseph's portion, portion is given to two, his two sons, right? So that's Ephraim and Manasseh. But that makes 13 tribes. Isn't Dan excluded? 
what's that in the final count in Revelation, but he's not here. He gets a piece of land in Canaan. Uh, but, but we got 13 now because we added one. How do we get back to 12? Yeah, Levi. Levi doesn't get land. And so we're back to 12. We got two for Joseph and none for Levi in the portioning of the land. Uh, uh, the Levites get, they've been given provision. They'll get cities. They have uh, all of the offering. Uh, the food is provided through the extra offerings, parts of the offerings that they minister with the people. Okay, so 16 is Ephraim and Manasseh, working through 17, 18, uh, the remaining inheritance and the tribes. Oh, we, and, and so we have Benjamin, Simeon in 19, Zebulun, Issachar, Naphtali, Dan, and then it closes with Joshua's city, uh, Joshua's portion. So what we're going to do is we look at these 14 to 19. We're going to glance over them front to back, but what we'll do is we'll go over them real quick and then, well, as quick as you want to go over them, and then we'll do some themes, some, uh, some theology, some themes, some uh, progressions that we see in them sort of, sort of topically. But we're, let's look at verse uh, chapter 14. The inheritance west of Jordan. So we have the east side portioned out to two and a half tribes. First five verses here, these are the inheritance that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. The inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and, a, and one half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in. With their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance, the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, they allotted uh, the land. So we're going to open, and then verse 6, the rest of it is Caleb's portion. Um, so chapter 14, as he talks about portioning out the land on the, on, uh, across the Jordan on the west side, he begins with Caleb. One of the, remember, he's one of the two faithful spies, uh, and he's going to receive his inheritance here. Uh, this opens with Caleb. The end of this chapter 19 in the section of 14 to 19, it will end with jo uh, Joshua getting his portion of land. So the two spies who were faithful, who gave a good report when they were sent in uh, while they were still wandering in the wilderness, they kind of bookend this section 14 to 19 where they get their own special little cities and areas of uh, of portioning. And they're both 85 years old. Or, uh, they're both old. Joshua's old. This is uh, chapter 14. will tell us Caleb is 85 years old. 
And, and, but that's how this section is kind of uh, cordoned off. So if we think about Israel, they've been 400 years in slavery, of course, then 40 years of wandering, and now they have conquered. So they've gone in one generation, if we take 40 years, generally speaking, as a generation. Um, they've gone from laboring slaves to nomads wandering in the wilderness, grumbling about God and grumbling about Moses, to a conquering army in one generation. That's, that's a huge change for these uh, folks. They've taken the promised land that was given to them uh, by God, beginning with Abraham, and it was all led by Moses until they come into the promised land. Now Joshua, having conquered, is charged with dividing up the promised land among uh, the tribes, giving them their uh, every acre is their proper inheritance. They're receiving their inheritance, and every piece of land uh, speaks to the faithfulness of God. Uh, and the, for us, it kind of points to our inheritance. They're receiving their inheritance, promised by God. Now, in you know, these old covenant uh, pictures or shadows pointing forward to uh, the new covenant inheritance that's in Christ Jesus. Uh, symbolizing everlasting life. Entering the promised land. If you, if you read through Hebrews, and you read about the rest of Hebrews, and he encourages them to be sure you enter into rest, those Hebrew uh, Christians. Well, that rest, his illustration of the rest is the Hebrew, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and entering into the promised land. Uh, so initially, it's for us entering into salvation. We rest. The Lord Jesus has done the work. We rest from any works, and we trust by faith in Christ. And ultimately, the rest is, of course, uh, our uh, experience of everlasting life and new heaven and a new earth. But this is just uh, another of the foreshadowings of the new covenant and uh, the ultimate redemption of God's people. So we read and study our Old Testament Bibles. It's not just history. It is history. But it's not just history. We read it in light of the New Testament that is showing us the fulfillment of all of these shadows uh, and the symbols that uh, represent the ultimate spiritual uh, truth. So last week we began, just look at verse 1 for a second of chapter 13, I'm sorry. And I kind of chuckled when I read this last week because it says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. 
and there remains very much land to possess. Um, in look at chapter 1, verse 1, how Joshua begins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So, after the death of Moses, God says, Moses has died. Now, Joshua is getting old, and God says, Joshua is getting old. It's kind of the same idea. The, the thought is introduced, and then God repeats the thought again. When he says Moses has died, uh, it's uh, uh, an announcement by God that then the conquest begins. Here, Joshua is old. Joshua, you're old. Uh, and now this is an announcement by God, a pronouncement by God in chapter 13 to begin the allotment of the land, to, to begin the dividing up for the 12 tribes. And so uh, the one starts, Moses' death starts the conquest or introduces the conquest. Now the statement, God's statement, that Joshua is old uh, begins this passage, this five, six chapters that talk about uh, uh, dividing up the land. Moses is not the answer to the promised land. He doesn't get to go in. Joshua is not the answer. Ultimately, he's about to die. And so the point is the emphasis, the way that God has, the author has laid it out under the inspiration of the Spirit uh, seems to emphasize the fact that human leadership is very frail. And God's promises are not dependent upon man and his leaders and his appointed people to accomplish his purposes. Ultimately, he will do his, accomplish his promises and his purposes. Uh, so, uh, it's the limitation of human leadership in God's redemptive story that Moses has died. Now Joshua is coming close to death. Uh, so they're not the key to winning the promised land. The presence of the Lord is, chapter 13, verse 6, all the inhabitants, let's see, yeah. Uh, in the middle of verse 6, I will drive them out from before the people of Israel. These are the ones he says, there's still land to possess. There's still people in the land. God says, I, will I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide the land for an inheritance to the nine and a half tribes of Manasseh. And uh, then he goes to laying out the uh, land on the east side of the, of, of the uh, Jordan River to Gad, uh, Reuben, Gad, and, uh, and Manasseh.
So that's kind of where we went last week. The presence of the Lord is the key that uh, uh, for Israel to possess Canaan. Uh, and so before marking out the land of Canaan, these two and a half tribes are, are mentioned. So uh, I, I, let's see. In chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 13, and chapter 22, uh, we learn about two and a half tribes on the east of the Jordan. Uh, again, there's an emphasis there, a theme there, that that's repeated four different times for us. And it will, like I say, we'll hear it again toward the end. And chapter 22, what he's tr making sure that everybody understands is the land on the east side of the Jordan is just as much the God's promised land as the land on the west side of the Jordan. They are 12 tribes, one people. There's a unity in God's people. The Jordan River cannot divide uh, the people up. They are God's people all 12 tribes. Um, in chapter 22, when he talks about the eastern side, he, he uh, stresses, he, he'll emphasize that toward the end of the book. So the land east of the Jordan is just as much a part of the land. The people on that side are just as much a part of the uh, people of God. It's all God's gift. And that's important. The reason he makes that important is the unity, uh, disunity will ultimately deny the work of God and the promise of God. Uh, he, he's promised the entire land, and then God, through Moses, has given these uh, two and a half tribes the land on the other side. And so uh, the disunity of the people of God really uh, will deny the work of God in creating a people for himself. And then what? Yes? There's, there's this tension here, it seems like, between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Okay. Uh, God says uh, in 13, 6, says, I will dispossess them before the sons of Israel. And then 13 says, but the sons of Israel did not dispossess. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it goes back, we talked last week about partial obedience. They, they obeyed, kind of. But God says, I will. And in fact, we're going to have to wrestle with that because they actually never do. And God says, I will. Uh, so is there a contradiction? And we'll look at some answers about why there is not a contradiction. Uh, but there is that God's sovereignty. I'm going to accomplish my purpose. But you, yes, yes, yes. So there is a tension. There's always a tension. We want to, you know, I, I remember Spurgeon's little illustration. He says, on one hand, you have divine sovereignty. On the other hand, you have man's responsibility. And he says, look, that's, the, that's up to God into how to understand that. He says, do not try to synthesize those two into one idea. He says, it's like there's two cables coming down out of heaven, 
And what you don't see is that it's one cable on a pulley on both sides. That's the way he illustrated it. And that's the work. That's the, the stuff up here we don't know. We don't know there's a pulley. But we see two cables coming down out of heaven, God's sovereignty and his, our responsibility. And so that's a good, and, and so what we don't want to do is say, I got it now, and here's exactly how that happens. We uh, don't try to synthesize the two. Don't try to understand everything. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I don't mean to minimize hard study. But don't give up just because you can't explain everything and get it in your head that it's right or how it works. God is just bigger than us. Y'all over What's that? Bruce said... Yeah, yeah. Who, who who was it that said uh, hell was created for the curious? Uh, uh, that was an answer, an apologetic answer, I think. Maybe Sproul or somebody, but but you know, they're just you can get too curious. The thing is, too often or so often, uh, we want to know what God doesn't reveal, and we want to ignore what He does. You know, the Mark Twain, who, as far as I know, was not a believer at all, said, it's not the stuff I don't understand. It's the stuff I do understand that bothers me about the Bible. Uh, so, yeah, we can't get all the answers. Feel good that you, that, that you serve a God who leaves you with some questions. <laughs> There's, you know, the mysteries are revealed that we read about in Scripture but there's many other mysteries that are not revealed in Deuteronomy 29, 29, right? And it says uh, there's secret things that belong to him and we have no business poking our nose in. That's probably it. That's probably, you know, for, for, the, for the curious. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, um, now, then we get to here to chapter 14 and they allot the land. They, it's the introduction to the allotting, allotting of the land in the land of Canaan, verse one. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which is going to be across the Jordan, right? It's the, it's the, uh, uh, east side of the Jordan. East side? Yeah. Uh, and Eleazar and Joshua uh, and the heads of the fathers uh, are giving these, to these tribes this inheritance. The inheritance, verse 2, was by lot, just as God had commanded. What does that mean by lot? <laughs> yeah, they're throwing dice in our language. I mean, it's, you know, the Lord has... And what's the proverb say? Say that again. The lot. 
the whole disposing is of the Lord. He, he determines the roll of the dice, the lot, how the lot is passed. So, uh, this goes away. When was the last time the lot was cast? Anybody? Mentioned in Scripture in Acts when they chose uh, Judas's replacement, Matthias, right? It, it's cast, the lot is cast from, and comes up on Matthias instead of Barnabas, Barabbas, Barnabas. Yeah, well, the Lord knows what he's doing. Mystery, right? <laughs> Don't hear Matthias again. Um, so, uh, by lot, just as the Lord commanded in verse 3 and 4, these nine and a half tribes, as the Lord commanded in verse 2, verse 5, the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded. So there's obedience in this. And so we go for, uh, all the way to chapter 19 with Joe got a piece and John got a piece and Peter got a piece. I mean, that's not the names, but it's just these over. But they're doing this obediently as to the Lord. Uh, we, we've, it, we've mentioned this before. It's just as important to mark out the boundaries as it is to win the war. And it's just as important for you and me to be obedient in the day-to-day things of God, of our lives, to be faithful in the day-to-day things as it is in the dramatic and the dynamic events that we face. So it matters. No command of God is ever trivial. All obedience is necessary and important. And they're dividing the land up by lot, just as the Lord commanded through uh, Moses. But then we come to verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. So you remember Gilgal? That's the first city where they first camp as they crossed the Jordan River and right next to Jericho, and so they conquer Jericho and come up on the hill and take Ai after the second time, and then they conquer the south, and then they go back up to Gilgal, and then they go up on the highlands to the north and, and go into Galilee and Samaria and that. Uh, so uh, they're at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Canaanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. You know, we haven't heard from Caleb since they've entered the promised land. We're going to find out he's been faithful the whole time. I was 40 years old, he says, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. So he's one of the 12. Uh, They're way down south. It's not far out of Egypt after they crossed the Red Sea. uh, and, And from Kadesh Barnea, those 12 spies come up from the south into the promised land. To spy out the land, verse 7, I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden, trodden 
shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron for, formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So, uh, Caleb shows up. Uh, we haven't heard from him, but he's remained faithful. Uh, he returns with Joshua, right, to, uh, with a good report. We can take these guys. We could go to Numbers 13 and 14. Uh, we can either turn there and read it or we can tell the story. Y'all can help tell the story if you like. Uh, they return with their report. Twelve spies return. They've gone through the land all the way up to Dan, to, to the city of Dan, up on the north end. Uh, they've gone all the way up there, and they come back, and ten come back and say, you know, the land flows with milk and honey. I mean, this is a sweet land. There is a lot there, but we can't do it. They're big people. Their cities are fortified. We cannot do it. Uh, and uh, humanly speaking, we're outnumbered. And, of course, with Joshua, Caleb says, let's go. We got this with the Lord's help. Uh, and so they're standing against the, minority, uh, the majority report, the two of them. And notice verse 8. If, if you, are you and uh, Joshua still? 14.8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. I mean, they're just quaking in their boots and made the people quake in their boots and say, well, Moses, uh, you messed up. We should have just stayed in Egypt. They began to grumble against Moses because of the ten spies who say we can't do it. Moses uh, Caleb says, well, yes, we can. And Joshua says, yes, we can. And so what the ten spies do there in Numbers, they go talk to the congregation, to the people. And the people are scared to death. And so the people take Joshua and Caleb and pick up stones. And they're ready to stone them both for believing the promises of God. And God delivers them. It doesn't say how. He just... 
uh, one verse, God delivered them. Uh, so standing against the majority puts them in a place to where their life is in jeopardy. They are outnumbered, grossly outnumbered. Uh, but the congregation grumbles against Moses. Caleb says, let's don't uh, rebel against God uh, for fear of the people of the land. Numbers 14. And I'm going to stop right here for a second. We talked about this last week. I don't know how much we talked about it. Uh, as, as I'm in James's category of uh, years instead of uh, Kim's back there. So I don't always remember, and I throw my notes away every week and start all over. Um, we talked a little bit, I think, about this idea of we're outnumbered. And Caleb saying we need to go on. Right? Um, Versus Luke 14, there's a passage that says, uh, What king goes to war without first sitting down and calculating uh, whether or not he can win the war? And if he figures out he can't win the war, he goes and makes peace with the enemy. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? You're outnumbered, but go anyway. What king does that? Jesus is teaching. I guess maybe new covenant, no covenant. If God be for us, who can be against us? There's a command. And, and really, the context is different. He uses the illustration of a king planning a war or, or a king uh, sitting down and calculating. But the context of 14 is counting the cost as a disciple. And Jesus is talking about, look, you know, I, I mean, it's the whole, like, uh, the birds have nests. Uh, if you want to follow me, we got nothing. And in that 14, you cannot be my disciple three different times. If you don't hate your mother and father, ultimately what he's saying, if you won't give it all up, you can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple and hang on to it. And so Jesus is teaching about counting the cost. Joshua, we're learning about obedience to the word of God the direct command of God, 500-year-old command at least. And so there's a difference, though, if you take those two out of context and you put them side by side, it looks like they're contradictory. But he's using an illustration to emphasize his teaching of the cost of being a disciple. Right? Any, any, anything... We good? It's a lesson in context. What is man's reasoning compared to God's command? God commanded them, and God said, gave them his promise, he would defeat them for Israel. For Israel. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yes. But it is. But Jesus is not condemning that king. He's almost praising that king. It would be foolish for that king to go forward. But the context, you don't take that verse. If you got to leave the verse in these uh, 10 verses or so on counting the cost of being a disciple. Now he's illustrating that idea. You know, it's not the only, he does another, the other illustration that he does there is, yeah, building, right? You, you, you sit down and you figure out how much this is going to cost before you start pouring the foundation and you say, oh my, we can't even build the walls. Yeah, but he count the cost. And if you want to follow Christ, there's a cost. Hey, there's a, there's a great, great, great reward. But there's also a cost. And, and so that's a lesson in context. Uh, and here's the other thing I thought about. Um, I wrote it down this way, and I'm not sure this is the best way to express it. I'll let you, you tell me. I wrote, we do things with others by our side that we'd never do alone. Comment? Okay. I got two points. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. Sure enough, two, three hours later, they get the door in. Okay. Anybody else? Um, I, I, let's do the bad side. Uh, together they have become worthless. I will have to say, before I was converted, as a teenager, I did some pretty silly stuff. Well, silly is the a very sanitized word is some of the things, a silly things with my buddies that I would never have done by myself. And together, we become worthless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. But the Lord has thankfully converted me. I didn't, I had no, God was no category in my mind at that point. Yeah, sure. I was just doing what my buddies were doing. I mean, we egged each other on, I'm sure. Uh, nobody working as the influencer. But on the other hand, I'm thinking about, I thought about um, Caleb standing before the congregation and saying, I, I see your rocks in your hand, but we can take these guys. And Joshua is standing right next to him saying the same thing. Now, we don't have any biblical comment on that. But how... 
would it have made any difference for Joshua and Caleb? Probably not because they were men of God faithful to the word of God. But the, the strength that they drew from each other standing side by side, it just seems to me that Caleb and Joshua had, this, uh, had their hearts knit together in a way that they stood together and encouraged each other in, in their faithfulness. Um, Latimer and Ridley. Yeah. And all the while, Cromwell has denied and feels so convicted that he ends up giving himself up later because he denied the faith and he comes back to it. Um, but uh, Caleb and Joshua standing alone. The t- again, I want to say to this, to you, that it's not in the text, but could you imagine life on the line facing an entire nation? how much they helped each other. Or here's uh, Paul, 2 Timothy 4.9, the end of his life, the end of 2 Timothy, his last book, how Paul is seeking fellowship and uh, 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 he's seeking companionship. He's, in 2 Timothy, he says this, Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Now, Crescens is most likely on an assignment to the Galatian churches. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He's been sent by Paul somewhere else. Uh, Luke alone is with me. But he's saying, Timothy, come on. And by the way, Timothy, get Mark. He's much help to me. Um, But Paul just lonely and deserted. He says, no one at my first defense. Everyone fled at my first defense, but the Lord sustained me. The Lord will always sustain his promised people. But just that... that, that, um, What a true friend is the value of a true friend. And that bad company will corrupt good morals. And together we'll become unprofitable. But together we also will uh, be encouraged in our courage to stand faithful. Yes, Bruce. Jesus sent his disciples out in twos, right? Yes, that's good. Mm-hmm. So those are just a couple of things I thought about. We're going to stop right here. Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, and so devoted to your faith, you'll find yourself at times standing alone. You'll find yourself at times, uh, well... Uh, endangering maybe, at least, if nothing else, your reputation. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about that, the consequences of faith next week. I have a few notes here for that. Anything else before we stop? Anybody?
Yeah, I got them. I got I, I, this one. I have here. The I mean, they're electronic, right? I just don't always know where I stop, <laughs> and what I add to it, and what I don't say in out of it. Anything else? We good? Yes, sir, Stephen. Croatia, yeah. I mean, that's right where we are in that Eastern European range of countries that are, certainly have different names today. Father, we ask for uh, your spirit uh, to shape us, to bend us, knowing that we must respond from the heart that's being transformed, Lord, into obedience, an obedience of faith. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be those who might stand beside another Christian who is going through a hard time and encouraging them to stand fast. Hold fast that the Lord Jesus will never fail. Lord, teach us as we study the Israelites. Help us to see ourselves. And help us to depend upon Christ because we do see ourselves in relation to you and in comparison to you. Lord, may we keep our eyes on him and yield ourselves to the power of the Spirit as the word of Christ dwells in us richly and produces his, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you that you equip us to do whatever it is you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.